On this episode, we sit down with Mike Finger, founder and owner of Exit Oasis. Mike shares his business philosophy and the turning point in his career when he found out his 50-employee company wasn't sellable. That sent him on a journey, and over the next 25 years, Mike has started, bought, and sold eight businesses. Now Mike helps other owners create businesses that are ready, able, and sellable when they decide the time is right. Enjoy. Mike, thank you for coming on the How To Business Show. Excited to learn more about your ventures as an entrepreneur, as well as what you're doing with Exit Oasis now. I guess to start it off, could you give us a little bit about your background and where you were before your first business and what led you to starting your first business? Sure, sure. Well, gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, background. Um, well, I'm going to share as much as I think might be interesting or of value to your listeners. I'm a, uh, I, I'm a guy who's been lucky enough to own eight businesses in my career. Um, started my first after uh, working uh, for an organization for about five years. Um, my wife and I uh, literally cut our dining room table in half to make two desks and started serving clients out of our living room. Um, uh, it, it turned out I was a bit of a growth junkie. Um, I uh, wanted to add the next client, then the next client, then the next employee, then the next employee, and then uh, tried to add that next location. And that's where things started to uh, uh, get a little more real for me. But uh, uh, yeah, started the first business in the mid-90s, started a second sister company uh, with that business and grew to uh, 50 full-time employees over a course of about 10 years. That's great. And what what industry were you in? The, uh, the first business was uh, the type of business that's called an association management company or AMC. Essentially what we did is manage nonprofit and professional associations. We were an outsource provider of everything from executive director to receptionist level services. Interesting. And over the course of you've, you've had eight different businesses, are they all in similar industries or? No, no. After, uh, after I was able to exit that business, I vowed to uh, never own another one of them again. And so um, it's been a uh, kind of a, a, a journey of exploration from that point forward. And in that first business, I know based on your website, it talks a lot about once you got to that point where you're at 50 employees, you wanted to exit and you realized there were some issues doing that. Could you explain? <laughs> explain what those issues were and, and maybe how other business owners could avoid them? It sounds so gentle when you say some issues. I, I, I love that. I, I wish it felt like that when at the time. No, I I don't know. You know, I look back on it um, now and wonder how I could have gotten it so wrong. And what do I mean by that? I mean, like I said, 50 full-time employees. I wake up one morning, I look in the mirror, and I see a crispy piece of toast looking back. I, I'm just, I, I, I did the, I, I didn't know you could work 18 hours a day, right? But I, I found that you can, and you can do it seven days a week. Um, and I, after a decade of doing that, I thought I, I've reached, I've reached my limit. My employees are trying to kill me unintentionally on their part, but. 
Um, that's how it felt. And so I decided it was time to do something else. Um, and that's when I had my, uh, my initial moment of, uh, uh, what do you mean I can't sell my business? I reached out to a couple different business brokers, um, and they talked to me about things like two owner dependent, not enough cash flow, blah, 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 right? The, the, the checklist of things that I've now come to learn are pretty common for most small businesses. Um, and found myself hanging up the phone after the third broker rejected the opportunity, the wonderful opportunity to try to sell my business. And, uh, uh, that was a, that was a really low point for me professionally. Um, probably the lowest point for me professionally, but ultimately it was a pivot point for me because I, I was at that point where it's like, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to shut it down? Am I going to, uh, I, I mean, by all outside views, this was a successful business. Um, but the truth was, as I was holding it together, um, uh, you know, holding on by my fingernails behind the scene. And so for me, the next five years was about learning what it takes to create a business that a buyer might actually be willing to and able to, and I want to, I want to under, if I can verbally underline and able to buy. Uh, and then five years later, we were able to successfully sell both those sister companies and uh, and start over from there. So it's uh, um, it was a I didn't I didn't know this going into it, but it was an incredible transformational experience for me professionally. That's that's an awesome story. What did your business look like after those five years? compared to the business that the brokers were turning down? What were yeah. the main differences? Now, it's a great question. Um, ironically, it was nearly identical from a revenue perspective. It was nearly identical from an employee count perspective. It was dramatically different from a um, owner operation perspective, from a profitability perspective. Um, it was it, it, it fundamentally changed in terms of those key components of desirability from a from an outside perspective, and I mean, really that journey went on to inform what I do now and how I do it now and how I captured that stuff. But guys, I focus on three key questions when it comes to a, whether or not a business can be sold: Are the results desirable? Can a buyer duplicate the results and can you document your results? That's it. Those three simple questions. If you can answer yes to those three simple questions, um, you are, you've dramatically increased your ability to sell your business. 10 years in, I was a hard no on number one. I was a hard no on question two. I always kept pretty clean records. So I had a solid yes on question three. Um, but the changes that took place uh, had to do with the desirability and a buyer's ability to du duplicate the results. That's awesome. Yeah. We, we, in our experience working with business owners, it's, you know, it's, it's every business is, is like 
a, an entrepreneur's child is in. That's their baby. They have a lot of emotion tied into it. And it's very easy as a business owner to get stuck in that day-to-day, those 18 hours, and never really think about the future because you're just so focused on putting out the fires you have to put out today. And so I Amen. love that you touched on that because, you know, I think for a lot of business owners, a successful exit is only possible if you can be forward thinking and realize, okay, maybe I don't want to sell now, but over the next five years, three years, if I want to go into retirement, because, you know, there's a lot of business owners nearing retirement age, it's, they got to preemptively think about these things. So I love that you discuss those three points because we run into those a lot of times in our analysis and typical valuation they don't really work with you one-on-one. It's not very intimate. You just send over your, your financials, but we really like to dive in and understand the business that way when a buyer comes and and wants to discuss, okay, what does this look like for me? We're able to see, okay, this is where you're going to fit in. They have all these processes documented. It's basically like we're handing over a Lego set with instructions that they can go and build and, and act on. Looking back, if you were in that position again, do you think it would take you five years it, it, yeah, I don't. I don't even have to answer that question hypothetically because my journey from there, after we sold the business, I, I played with a startup. Uh, I actually worked as a business broker for about a year. Loved part of that, hated part of that. Uh, spent three years running a uh, startup incubator here locally, uh, helping startup and growth companies start up and grow faster. But to get to your question, uh, I then went back and bought and sold. Uh, two businesses. Um, I think primarily to prove to myself uh, that what happened the first time wasn't a fluke. Uh, And the truth is, is that it took me about two, two and a half years to create similar results. So the answer to your question is, uh, would it take as long? It would not, it did not, and it does not have to. um, If an owner looks at this process differently than we normally do. Um, again, you know, we, none of us, we start businesses, we learn as we go. If we knew ahead of time, everything we didn't know and what we were going to learn along the way, I don't know how many of us would actually take the leap, but, uh, we do. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of the lifestyle, but, um, to, to, to the earlier point that was made, I mean, the problem with this topic area is that there is no advocate for a successful exit for a business other than the business owner, right? It, I don't care if, 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 if the parking lot didn't get shoveled or if the printer isn't working. Every other issue in your business has an advocate. Someone's going to be pounding on your door to talk about the $52 piece of machinery that needs to be fixed. No one's going to pound on your door and say, hey, buddy, you're planning for a $2 million exit, but your business is currently unsellable. It it, it doesn't happen. And so most of us as owners, we wait and then we fail. That is the standard practice when it comes to exiting a small business for most small business owners. And another thing is a lot of small business owners are owner operators and what we've found, we, you know, we've dealt with a lot of businesses that are in that owner operator situation. And typically a business broker would say, look, your, your business is way too dependent on you, yep. which, which is true, but that does, there's still owner 
operator buyers out there. There's still lifestyle buyers who would be willing to work in your business. So we, we like to take that into consideration. Sure. It's not going to be what every private equity group or big institutional investor is going to want, but there's still a small town business owner who's in a like industry who could easily, you know, just bring your business into operations. And I, I think a lot of business owners, if, if they think about, okay, what's, what's your competition doing? Those are some buyers that could come in no matter whether your business runs itself or not, and still just, you know, purchase your business and bring it in. And I think a lot of people, a lot of business brokers kind of forget that is an avenue. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. I think I, I know that's certainly true. Hypothetically, the problem is, is that we, I think too many owners lose sight of the fact that even that next owner operator is going to need substantial support from a systems and team perspective in order to just keep the level where it is, right? I, I talk to owners all the time and they're like, well, why, isn't that guy just going to come in and do my job? And well, yeah, but how long did it take you to get to the point where you're able to do the job you are right now? And well, 20 years. Okay. Well, what chance does this guy have to walk through the door, perform the same at the same level, plus pay you out for the purchase price? So he's got that additional burden to bear. It's it's a tough go unless that owner ahead of time has stopped and said, listen, what's in my head right now? How do I actually do what I do? How do I build a system around that so that that transition might be able to take place? It's the, the numbers, and I'm sure you guys know this, the numbers are discouraging when it comes to this sell a business space, right? Best numbers I find available say that less than 20% of small business owners will ever sell successfully. That is shocking to most small business owners when they hear it. Last numbers I saw is up to 60% of small business owners are planning for the sale of their business to fund their retirement. Big disconnect. Yes. That's huge. And an incredibly painful gap, especially as I imagine you two have, if you're, if you're having that conversation at a Denny's um, you know, talking about how they're not going to be able to sell their business. I've seen too many people break down in tears at those tables um, and, and it's because they don't understand the gap that exists. And another part of that is within the world of business transactions, there's a lot of gray area with real estate. It's very straightforward there's, there's a set way you do things. And if you deviate, there's lawsuits and, and same thing can happen in business brokerage, but the disclosures in real estate are much more, you know, regulated. And when it comes to, let's say you, you do buy a business and it ends up all falling apart, that business collapses right after you purchase it. Well, yep. whose who's liability is it? And, and when that goes through the court system, it's such gray area that either side can win or lose. And it's, I think that alone, just business brokers being not being highly regulated, they can, if a business owner wants $2 million for their business that's only worth a million, they're happy to slap that price on there, put it on the market, and just treat it like a trophy. They don't, it, they, they don't really care if it sells or not. They're just happy to get more and more business because it's, it's a game of quantity when it comes to listing. A lot of yeah, I, I mean, I think there there's there's a certain percentage of brokers out there that buy the listing, right? They 
Uh, okay, yeah, two million, sure. And well, why did you take that listing? Well, I will get buyer candidates from this listing that I can then uh, turn on to some other better better listings. Um, it's unethical. It happens. Um, and sometimes, in fact, quite frequently, it's our own fault as the small business owner. And, and I, I've, had, I've had brokers take me to task on that. I've had seller, uh, small business owners take me to task on it. But the truth is that if I'm the owner and I haven't done anything to educate myself about this process, and the first thing I tell you when you come to sit down with me as a broker, well, listen, pal, I need all cash. I need two million or more. It's got to sell within six months. And you know, here's three other unrealistic expectations. A good broker, a broker that probably has been in the business for a while is going to say, see you later. I can't help you. But a new broker or someone that maybe is has a, maybe I can help you out. Maybe I'll try and get this done. It's a it's a tough place to be, but like most things in business ownership, uh, if you sit in the chair, it's your job to understand it before you get to that table. Exactly. And it kind of goes back to, you know, they're so busy putting out those fires that they don't, they just never have the time to sit down and think about it. I was curious, you mentioned <clears throat> you bought two businesses and then turned around and sold those. What were the, what, what kind of place were they in when you, when you purchased them? Uh, both of them that I purchased were uh, would be a little closer to the turnaround type. Um, but again, for me, it was a function of what did I learn the first time through? What was my skill set and how do I apply it in, in this case? And, you know, it's funny, my, my, my experience as a broker um, was a... Uh, it was a mixed bag. Um, turned out to be more of an, a, an uncompensated year of education that paid off huge for me when I bought and sold those other businesses, right? My comfort level with making an offer, my comfort level with some of these things that I had, that I had gained from learning that process um, was real impactful for me. But this topic area tends to be one that's defined by complexity, Right. If if you're if you're surfing content online in the sell a business space, most of it's going to be technical. Most of it's going to be driven by a broker or someone else calling out some piece of minutia that they're going to teach you about. And as owners, we can we can tend to get a sense that being successful in the space is about mastering the complications. But the truth is that most businesses that fail to sell fail to sell because of something simple they fail to sell before they ever get to page 27 of the application where you have to check x instead of y those failures happen right we know that deals fall apart because of something like that but for every one of those there's 10 owners that never even got listed for sale because they either didn't have desirable results or too owner dependent right these things they it's what slaughters deals and the minutia, the complexity. But again, that complexity is where most of the content in, is in this space. Mm -hmm. And I, I like what you do and what you're sharing with the world. We came across each other via your content and, and LinkedIn. Um, and you keep it very simple. You tell stories about 
your experience and how it can apply to other people. Um, speaking of that experience in brokering businesses and what you learned through that year of hard knocks, could you touch yep. on on some of those items that you know may be helpful for other business owners that you learned throughout that year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the big takeaways from me for from that year um, was recognizing how uh, buying and or selling a business that's a fear based transaction, right? That is a transaction where both sides of the table tend to be driven in large part by fear. Um, e- either it's fear of missing something in due diligence if I'm the buyer, fear of paying too much, uh, fear if I'm the seller of leaving too much money on the table, of people finding out that I'm selling. There's, there's all of these elements of fear that come to play from both sides of that table. Um, and so it, it, using that as an example, um, What's my takeaway from that when I'm dealing, when, I, when I'm coaching a small business owner? I, before our conversation today, I just got off the line with a new client. Uh, and one of the things that we talked about is that she occasionally will get people um, calling her with interest about her business. And she said, well, uh, I, I, I just tell them I'm not interested and I hang up. And I said, that's fine. But now you and I are going to do some role playing because from here on out, we're going to spend 15 or 20 minutes with each of those folks that call. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to entertain. We're going to, we're going to learn from them what they're thinking the valuation of a business in our industry is, what they're seeing about other listings. What, we're going to start engaging this topic because how do we reduce fear? We reduce fear through repetition. We th- reduce fear through exposure. We reduce fear by engaging this topic before we're ready to sell or before we're at the closing table, right? So it's uh, that's an example of where a takeaway from that that broker year for me directly impacts what I did afterwards and and how I um, how I work with owners today. Um, one other thing that came you know, comes to mind when you talk about that is. Um, is, is, is in that fear space. But one of the businesses that I bought, um, and it's a fun story, um, but I, I was very comfortable making an offer even though I didn't have much financial information. The owner at the time was, was adamant. He wasn't releasing financial information unless somebody made a, a signed offer. That's a terrifying prospect if you're a potential buyer. But what I had learned as a broker, it was really easy for me to condition my offer and say, listen, I'm happy to make this offer and buy the business for this price, but if what I learn after this um, doesn't match with what I learned before it, I get to walk away, you know, no harm done. And uh, sure enough, that turned out to be a case where he was fabricating financials and all of that sort of thing. Walked away from the first offer, ended up making a second offer six months later, walked away from that offer when I found out other things, bought that business from the bank um, six months after that for a third of what my initial offer was. So again, that that jungle that, that can be, you know, pulling off a transaction for me was was well educated by that year as a broker. That's awesome. 
Yeah, that's great. And I, I like that you touch on, you know, it's, you got to come in with, you know, the calmness. It's, it, while it is a big rush, it helps to just take a deep breath, relax and move through. Because one thing I don't think business owners with real estate, it, you can kind of hide, you know, stuff going on the, inside the wall. You have no idea what's in there. Everybody takes that risk. But with business, businesses, when you go to sell those and you hand over that due diligence, it's going to be scrutinized and every single point of it's going to be analyzed to the fullest. And we, right. we've had a lot of business owners come through and, you know, they're, they're proud to say that they've been collecting cash off the books. And yep. it's, it's like, well, if that's the case, that's kind of tax fraud. I mean, we can't, we're not going to brag about that for your business. That's not a good thing, but, but that makes us so much money. We have all this cash. It's like, no, that's a huge liability. And as soon as someone discovers that the entire deal is going to fall apart and it's business. Owners you just to- admit you lied to the IRS, but somehow I'm supposed to trust your word. Exactly. Right? I, I would never lie to you, Dylan. I would never <laughs> lie to you, Cal, but I'll lie to the entity that can throw me in prison. Yeah. It, it just, I mean, again, the, the concepts we have in our brain as we approach this potential sale they don't make any sense, but they happen over and over and over again. And all these issues that we're discussing sound like they, you know, led to the formation of Exit Oasis and what you're doing today. Could you dive into how you started the business you currently run and what you're all's mission yeah, is there? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, what, what, I, what I did after I sold that um, that last business is I realized that I loved this space. Um, and I realized that I wasn't interested in doing that next transaction. Uh, that I, I, care, I tend to carry ownership pretty heavy. Um, I, I'm, I'm there all the time. I'm, uh, I, I know there's different ways to do it, but I haven't quite figured out how to not be that guy when it comes to ownership. And so I knew I didn't want to dive right back into ownership. I knew I didn't want to be a broker uh, anymore. That, that, that is a transactional space. Uh, I meet you, we sell your business. I never talk to you again. Um, I'm a little more relationship driven than that. And so for me, it was about um, wanting to be in the space, wanting to work with small business owners and wanting to try to translate what I had learned through this process. And so for me, it was really, I spent about 18 months whittling down what I thought was important. And it's how I landed on the space where, of those three questions. Because you know, we can talk about, hey guys, let's, let's, do, a, let's do a call or a, a podcast about seller financing, right? That's a really important topic. It, it, it's, it, it impacts deals. Uh, it can be a, a significant um, contributor to what the value offering is. It, it's, a, it's an important element. But you know what? If your business isn't profitable and it's owner dependent, seller financing isn't going to solve those problems. There are, so it was, it was a process of whittling away everything that was important but not essential. And so where that, after going through that process, then where I landed is in a place where what I do now is I coach small business owners who are interested in preparing their business for sale. Um, Ultimately, I don't care if they sell. 
um, because I've had too many owners that as we go through this process, fall back in love with their business and decide to keep it, which is just a freaking fabulous outcome. Um, but keeping a business that you can sell is fundamentally different than keeping a business that's dependent on you. So what I look for is owners who are ready to be ready to sell their business. So you, your first one was five years and then it came to two years. When you're working with business owners, is there a timeline that you tell them that they should expect? Um, well, keep in mind, the first one was 15 years. Well, yeah, that, okay, that, 15. that last five years was, uh, was focused, but, um, it, the unfortunate answer is it depends. I would say in most cases, it's a minimum to, of 18 to th- uh, 18 months to three years. Why is that? Well, because as you and I both know, if I'm going to buy your business, one of the things I'm going to do is take three years of financials to my banker. And so I'd better have a three-year track record that supports the purchase price that that buyer is bringing to their banker for approval. And in most cases, it's not, right? Because what is the, what is the, one piece of, of advice and instructions that small business owners give to their accountant. Make me pay less in tax. Amen. Right. That's, that's, that's the only instruction we give and our accountants tend to be pretty good at it. And so um, they create tax returns that result in buyers looking at our tax returns and saying, well, why didn't your business ever make any money? So when we start from a place like that, when we start from a place of owner dependence, when we start from a place of um, records that aren't well documented, uh, too low profit, no team, no systems, we have to build those things. And then we need those things to operate long enough to create a track record that we can use to show someone. The most common answer that a business owner will give when you talk about this topic is I will get my business ready for sale when I'm ready to sell it. And then you explain to them, you know, 18 months, three years, five years. And you talk about how this, I want to sell tends to sneak up on most of us as owners. It's either a question of, uh, Uh, you know, burnout or divorce or relocation, or I found a new opportunity. But those don't tend to be things that result in me saying, yeah, I've got three to five years to figure this out. So, I mean, what I would imagine, what, what do you guys see in the small business owners that you talk to? Is that, is it as common for you? Yeah. I mean, just one client that, that does stand out is, um, I mean, she, her, her husband ran the business and he unfortunately passed away. So she in, inherited a 30 a business that's been operating for 30 plus years. She's from yep. outside of the U.S. So there's a lot of cultural and language barriers there. And so that's been a very interesting situation. Luckily, she inherited a very good or not inherited, but, you know, took control over her husband's company that was very well run. It's just now she's it basically an unqualified owner who just sure. happened to found herself in that space. And, and that, that situation, it just all together, it's, it's, it's sad. And at the end of the day, it's a great asset. It's a great business. That's been in, we're, we're out of Louisville, Kentucky. It's, it's been here for 30 plus years. And it's just one of those situations where we, we know we can sell the business, but it's also working with her, this, this individual who has never 
been in this position before. And that one stands out um, particularly, but we have a lot of business owners who come in, we get their financials and, and we do like to start working with their financials directly with our analysis, but we do ask for the tax returns. And there are so many times where we look at the tax returns and we're like, okay, these don't match. This is going to be a big problem for any lender that we're about to send this to, to get pre-approved on. And, and we run into that a lot. So more, more often than not, the business owners we work with, there is a reason they want to sell. Maybe it's retirement. Maybe, like you mentioned, relocation. Um, but they're coming to us with the mindset that I'm going to sell this thing within a year and I'm going to be done with right. it. Whereas right. with everything we've just talked about, typically doesn't work like that. Um, Absolutely. And I, I mean, most brokers that I talk to right now are giving a nine to 18 month time frame from the point of listing, right? That, 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 that sales cycle is, is not, it, even if you're ready um, the, to get from the point of I'm ready to actually being at the closing table. Um, like I said, the average I'm hearing is anywhere from nine to 18 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we like to tell clients is, like we just had a client, absolutely spectacular business. They live in Florida. It, it's completely self-operated, generating over $10 million in revenue and beautiful business. We're very excited about it, but they did work with the business broker in the past who, you know, kind of drug things out. They didn't like the timelines and, and they were, they ended up firing him, but they were like, okay, how quickly can this happen? And we were just, we had to be very straightforward and say, look, we can have an interested buyer in a week, maybe. But once they submit an LOI, that's when six months or more of just due diligence, of just questions, conversations, time invested so they can understand your business. And at any point they can go, yeah, we're, we're, we don't want it. We, we don't want to pursue. So yeah, we, we, we do a lot to preface them and we try to explain. It's a lot like a court case. You know, we're, we're, we're not lawyers, but at the end of the day, court cases are, can go either way, and it's whoever presents the best case on the value, on the business. And we, you know, some court cases go three years, some are closed in a day. It just, it really depends, and, and we try to preface them with that. And obviously, the better their business is, the better positioned it is for sale, things can go a little quicker. But yep. whether it's a bad or good business, it's still that six months of due diligence that always takes place. And that's with an interested buyer. Yep. I, I, my, the last business I sold from the point where I met the buyer to where we closed was 35 days. And the reason that happened is because the business was ready to be sold. Uh, in, in fact, it, the way it worked is I was actually, I had actually um, put out a listing for a, for a second business that I owned and he contacted me and learned a little bit about it. And he said, it's too far away. And I said, well, I actually have one in a similar business in the town that you live in. I wasn't planning to sell it right now, but would that be of more interest? And he said, yes. And again, what, when we talk about, again, that third question, uh, are your results, you know, can you document your results? We have that conversation. And I said, I'll send you over financials. And it was literally 
three minutes later that he had the financials. Why? Because they get produced on a monthly basis, because they get reconciled on a monthly basis, because I knew they were going to match up with what had been filed in the tax returns. It was just there. And, and I didn't do that just because I wanted to be ready for sale. I did that because it's way easier to run a business if your financials are clean and done on time. And so it's like this whole methodology, this whole framework of sellability has as much, if not more, to do with being able to run your business smoothly and easily and profitably. And buyers like happy owners, right? They, they like happy owners. And what makes an owner happy? A business that's easy to run, that's profitable, all that stuff. So it's, a, again, but I was that owner for 10 years, right? I was that guy who had read an article that said businesses in your industry usually sell for about 2x revenue. And I, I did my math and I started chasing revenue and 3 million, 4 million, 5 million. Well, that'll be about enough if I, even if I only get 1x. And then you go to find out that revenue has absolutely nothing to do with the value of that business or what a buyer can afford to pay. And it's like, how could I have gotten it so wrong? Yes. And I like that you touched on the documentation because that's another piece is, is, okay, business is ready to, you know, for us to dive into the financials and we'll, there's so many pieces of documentation that can really help us do our jobs better. Like, okay, what's all the equipment you have? And then you ask a business owner and they say, okay, give me a couple days. I'm going to have to go add it all up. And it's yep. like, okay, well, well, we'll wait. But if, if you were to tell a business owner, look, you're going to need everything documented. Granted, there's a lot to be documented, but I also yep. like how you simplify things. What kind of documentation is absolutely essential? Obviously financials, but outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, what it gets, uh, what, what, what we usually get into at that point is the things that we have as owners have taken for granted. Do you have an agreement with your key vendors? Is that agreement transferable? Do you have a lease? Is that lease transferable? Uh, do you have employee contracts? Do uh, Are they actually employees? Does your paperwork work the way it should, right? I mean, these things that, and again, I, I've done the small business thing long enough to know that if you start a business trying to pay attention to every single T to cross and I to dot, you're never going to survive. So, we, we grow this business, we cut some corners, but as we grow, we had better mature that and, and get to the place where we're not cutting those corners and we're able to document how we do what we do. Um, so it, yes, it's financials, but it's also that, that overall mechanism of, of, of how do I do what I do? And I mean, we can transition from that to talk about systems and documentations, but here we're really talking about the, uh, if you can't prove it, it didn't happen part of this. Um, exactly. So it, it, that's, a, that's a tough one. And in fact, I think those are, those are some of the most discouraging sale failures to see is when I meet an owner who has desirable results, who has... Um, you know, a business that could be transferred to a new owner, but either because of sloppiness or, um, you know, cutting corners with their financials, taking money out of the table, those sorts of things where you look and say, I'm sorry, this, you can't prove to me that this happened. Well, don't you trust me? Oh, 
okay, say I trust you. How big of a check am I willing to write against my trust of what you've said? Exactly. Probably not a big one. Exactly. Good way to put that. And it, and it does go back. Like every business, you know, I, I wouldn't say most business owners plan to be where they are. You know, it, it's kind of luck. Their first customers kind of luck. And so yep. it's okay to cut corners at first. But what I'm get from what what I'm getting from what you're saying is there comes a point where your business can start to mature. You know, you maybe you have the revenue, the money, the resources, the extra time to finally sit down and document it. But if you think about how the past 20 years have, have gone, it's to a business owner, they've been cutting corners. So it's like, why would they even sit down to document it? Is that something you run to, into a lot with uh, your clients you coach? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to, to your earlier statement, right, we're, we're firefighting. We're, we're trying to, to deal with the very real things that, um, that come at us every day. And so part of this for me, a big part of this for me, is helping owners understand that what we're talking about here isn't something that happens separate uh, from the effective running of the business. What do I mean by that? I think most owners tend to view selling a business as the transaction. And the truth is that most of the content that you'll see out there around selling a business is about the transaction. But the truth is that that business sold or didn't sell because of the five years before it and, and what happened, how it was run, what was the profit goal, did it get did that profit get protected through the tax return, right? Or, or, or did they get to December 13th and go, well, heck, I don't want to pay those taxes. I'm going to go ahead and buy this and this and this and this. And gee, look, I didn't pay any taxes. And gee, look, I don't have any profit anymore. So if I boil it all down, it comes down to the word intention. It comes down to an owner having the intention to create a business that they can sell. Not to sell it. That's a different decision. Um, but the the business owner who's ready to be ready. That, that to me is the key. And, and again, um, those businesses that are ready are so much nicer to own, are so much easier to run, are so much better at, at growth and navigating turmoil and all of these things that we do as owners all the time. Um, but we got to top. We got to stop as owners and take a step back and and look at the dip, the business differently. I I definitely like how you think about that process, simplifying what's essential, what matters, um, and then getting to a point where a transaction is even possible. And as Dylan and I are mostly in that transaction space, we spend a lot of time valuing businesses for business yep. owners that are ready to sell today even though yep. their business may not be ready to sell today. How do right. you think about valuation for a business that is at that point where it can run itself and it hits your three check marks? You know, I, I, I smile at that question because it's such an important question and I do everything I can to completely ignore it. Mm -hmm. um, it what do I mean by that? 
the second meeting I have with a, with a new client, we go through the seller's discretionary earnings process. We go through, I show them how this works, but it's not a valuation process. I will tell owners, I have no idea what the value of your business is, but I can get really close to what a buyer can afford to pay for it, right? Because what we know is that what buyers got two basic needs, right? And again, I know there's other needs that come in the list, but we whittle away everything that's not essential. A buyer needs to earn a living and they need to be able to service the debt that they incurred to buy the business. They need to be able to do those two things from the proceeds and the results that your business generates on an annual basis. That's how we figure out what a buyer can afford to pay. Now, are there all sorts of exceptions to that rule? Of course. If you've got $3 million of, of trucks sitting in the backyard, I don't care how much money your business loses, you probably got $3 million of value in your business at least, right? There's exceptions to this, but that's where we get into trouble. And, and I'd be really, I'm going to be really interested in your guys' take on this. One of the things that's become very clear to me over the last many years as I've spent so much time in this space is that the content and conversation in this space is dominated by the mid-market and above. That is 95% of what's out there. And so the things we hear about and the things that educate small business owners in many cases, if not most cases, have absolutely nothing to do with how they will value their business or sell their business if they're able to. And so even those who try to, to engage this topic and learn about it, it it's like, it, it be like watching videos on how Michael Jordan got a little better at slam dunking, right? I can't jump that high. I'm never going to jump that high but I can still play basketball. So it, 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 there's just this, does that resonate for you? I mean, it, 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 is the messaging about this topic in the marketplace completely broken? I think it has to do with kind of the complexity. So when you look at the, the middle market, these are businesses making over $20 million in revenue. And when a business that's making $20 million in revenue looks a lot different than a business making a million dollars in revenue. In order to make that 20 million, you're likely going to already have all the systems and processes in place to be generating that kind of revenue. Yep. You're also probably a brand or a company that is extremely well known and you have a ton of competitors that would be willing to just jump on your business and buy it today. The, the main thing that matters in those situations are ultimately the financials, all the, all those crazy metrics like EBITDA and the middle market. It's very straightforward. Just grow revenue, grow all these different metrics, just focus on those because the quality and the buyer interest is already there. So they're not talking about that to small business owners of, Hey, look, what are the systems driving your business? Hey, if a buyer's going to buy this, they're not going to want to spend a single hour working in your business. And it's, there's not enough content kind of dumbing it down away from the financials. And it leaves all these small business owners thinking that financials are all that matter. I think that's kind of my summary of it. Interesting. I, I'm, I, I'm, there's a lot of truth in what you said. 
But what I'm struck by is that I can satisfy a lot of the things on that list in an unprofitable business. Yes. And, and, and so the, the challenge is that I, I think, and I think the problem is, is that small business owners can hear that and it's true, but it doesn't apply to most businesses, right? It, it, it's, it's this, I, I, and, and help me out with this guys, because I, I, I really, I struggle with this to try to help owners understand the, this stuff at such a basic level, because truthfully, as owners, we only have so much time to give to this. And, and, and how do I, how do I make an impact on my business with the half hour a month I can give to this stuff? Uh, and, and so that's, that's, I had a call yesterday with a, with a small business owner. Um, turns out his business last year made about $30,000. And his question to me is, tell me more about how private equity works and um, how they're going to buy my business. He didn't make that up. And it, you and I both know that that's not a business that private equity is going to waste a second on. But I guarantee you he got there because he read an article titled, Who Might Buy Your Business? And the first one on the list was private equity and then family offices and then, right, all of these buyers that are true but are completely unrelated to the reality that that owner is going to live in. And so that, I, I mean, for me, when I talk to an owner, where we go when we talk valuation is we go to a place where I say, what is our goal for exit? Let's say it's a million dollars. Okay. What does the business need to look like from a financial results perspective that will allow a buyer to service the debt and earn a living on a million dollar purchase? Then let's make the business look like that. And then you know what? If we get there and evaluator tells us the business is worth a million and a half, outstanding. Let's do that then. Let's list it for that. Let's, let's list it for $3 million. I don't care, but we know that we've got the basics that are going to help us and allow us to achieve our goal for exit. That, I, I, I'd love to hear your feedback on that because, again, I think this valuation question is a really complicated one for owners because a valuator going through the exercise legitimately asks a lot of questions that might come up and lead to a valuation, but doesn't necessarily, I've had brokers show me valuations of hundreds of thousands, if not over a million dollars on businesses that are unsellable. At the end of the day, all valuation methods have to be tied to what income can this asset or the likelihood of the future income generate. Now we start thinking about who are the actual buyers that are going to pay the most for this business. When we, when we extrapolate out to the audience of small business owners and the numbers I looked at last time, 95% of businesses that exist will not earn more than a million dollars of revenue in, in any single year, right? So when we talk about small business, 95% of the market is in that space. 
right? So it's like for most of the audience, for most of the, for most owners, what's significant is to ask, are they making any money? Right? Because that's what's going to determine whether or not they can sell. And we'll figure out for how much, when and if they when and if they reach that threshold. That's where they need to focus their time and attention. Um, that's the part to me that um, I, I struggle with trying to figure out how to call that out because every it, as you pointed out when you started talking about this, it's complicated, right? This this valuation stuff is 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 highly technical. There's variations on themes, and most of that stuff simply does not matter to most small business owners when it comes to selling their business. I don't, you tell me if you think differently. No, I would agree. I would agree 100%, but I would, I would throw in a little caveat that it also takes someone who doing the valuation to really dive in and understand that business because without it there, you're just looking at a standard model that you know, could be applied to any business, but isn't taking into account the uniqueness that comes with every business. And it's just a, a plug and play essentially. So if you don't have certain metrics, it goes in as a zero and, and then you move on from there. And it, I think it, it takes a lot of understanding to be able to value a business right of just that specific unique business. 100% agree. At Exit Oasis, do you, at what point does your relationship, I guess, do you, do a majority of your business, you talked about how they fall in love and want to stick with their business. How many actually end up going through to transaction? Uh, last year, 2022, about 25% of my active clients sold. That's awesome. Um, so uh, that, uh, um, that's a good pace, right? That, that, uh, um, it depends on where they are in the life cycle of their business, whether or not they want to sell, um, but that uh, uh, ultimately, that's the driver uh, of the conversation that that starts, right? Most of the clients that come to me um, have a desire for exit sometime in the next um, couple of years. Uh, interestingly enough, most of them are not retirees. M most of owners that I deal with um, are in the in their uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s, but they're desiring an exit or the ability to exit um, as we begin that that process. And once they, you know, dive in, take their business to market, are you involved with that aspect or do you kind of hand them off to someone else at that point? It's a, a great question. I am, I am uh, unapologetically not a technical expert. Uh, we, we do... I support them. We'll go through interview processes together with brokers. I will support them as they engage the technical expertise that they need uh, to do this right. We need an attorney. We need an accountant. We need a, a broker. Um, uh, and then um, I, I'll get the call. Um, I'm not sure I can go through with this deal, uh, right? So it, it, we, we, we talk through that process. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, I am a huge believer in the value uh, of those technical experts. Um, the problem is, again, that I think reality says that it's not the technical that is going to determine ultimately whether or not we get to sell. Um, it, it, the, the success or failure starts before that. 
random thought here, Exit Oasis, what does the future look like for you and do you envision an exit for Exit Oasis? It's so funny you ask that. I get that question fairly frequently. Well, is your business sellable? And I, again, unapologetically say no. Um, By design, I like doing what I do. And so this for me hasn't been about, okay, I've got a full load. Now, how do I add the next, uh, the next coach and expand this and create the curriculum and do this stuff? Um, I love interacting with small business owners. I love helping them make an impact. Um, that, has, that has truly been um, uh, both a uh, vocation but also an avocation for me. It, it puts me in a place where I can use the skills and practical experience that I've had and engage. Um, and I tell owners that's okay. As long as it is a conscious choice on your part and there's not an element of your financial future that's dependent on a transaction that can't happen. Right. If an owner, we go through a process and if the owner, if the process ends with the owner saying, I'm never going to be able to sell this, that's okay. Now they can start looking at things like a simple IRA or what is my retirement plan or how am I going to do, right? It, it, the big problem is those owners that believe one thing when reality is fundamentally different. But yep, for me, it, uh, this has been a, 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 both a work of pleasure and of passion for me. Um, it's your personal I, brand. I, 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 I genuinely enjoy the work. And again, I feel like I earned my my um, my engagement with this um, honestly. I, I I remember hiding under my desk, guys. I remember hiding under my desk, going, "I don't know if I can do this anymore." And I just learned I can't get out of here. Now, what in the world am I going to do? Um, and the journey of getting out from under that desk and out of my business. Um, was a massive transformational one for me. And I get the chance to help other people do that right now. And that is really cool. And I'm sure they resonate with everything you just said, just feeling like they can't get out. And yeah, I like that. That's, that's awesome. If, if our listeners want to find you, do you have any um, uh, plugs, they call them where they can find you? Um, oh, I mean, you can find me at the, at the website, exitoasis.com. And as was mentioned earlier, I try to be pretty active on LinkedIn. That's a, that's a great place to engage the topic with me. If you're a, uh, if you're a voyeur, if you're just going to watch and learn, uh, that's the right place to do it. Yes. And I recommend everyone go follow him on LinkedIn or connect with him on LinkedIn. You don't follow, I guess you can, but great content, a lot of real life scenarios that could apply from almost any kind of business owner. So really check that out. And uh, we like to conclude the show. This has been a great conversation, but we like to conclude with a little blitz round. And the first question is for you, Mike, what book has had the biggest impact on you or your career? Uh, You know, it's going to be a boring answer because I'm sure you've heard it before, but I can still remember reading through the E-Myth for the first time when I was a first time owner. And, um, coming to the realization that that the book was telling my story and that I was making all the mistakes they had written down. And um, so, yeah, that that's a that's a big one for me. Yep. That's awesome. a good one. 
What was your dream job as a child? Huh? Did I want to be a cowboy? I don't know. I, I thought about being an architect for a while. Um, you know, looking back, you know, my brother and I had the strawberry stand on the corner. We did, we did some of that stuff. So um, I don't know that I, I planned for this or I, I didn't grow up dreaming of being an entrepreneur. Um, but here we are. It's great. And, and, and again, I don't even know if the term entrepreneur works. Um, I don't know if I dreamt of being a small business owner, but uh, that was definitely turned out to be in my DNA. So I'm pretty sure once you hit eight businesses, you can call yourself an entrepreneur. <laughs> Thank you very I, much. Uh, that, uh, there is, I, I don't know. The, the small business voice is one that just echoes in my head. I, I, I am a big believer in the positive impact that owners have in our society and in the, the rewards available to living that small business life. Um, yes. Don't get me wrong. Um, it comes with pain, uh, but I would not trade it. I would not. I, I, I serve on a board of directors, and most of the others on the board are uh, uh, corporate employees, and I just I don't get it. I, I think they're freaking nuts. Why in the world would you do that? Why would you spend your life working for somebody else um, without the ability to ruin your, your own life uh, and any of the thousands of decisions you make during the course of a week? That's, that's the adventure we want to be living, right? Yep, we Is both. that the adventure you guys are living? That's right. 100% that inspired this podcast. And Cal and I both are, I guess, rookie entrepreneurs of sorts. And we... We like working for ourselves for sure. It's, it's, it's hard. It's fulfilling. No one's telling you what to do, but it's the freedom and, you know, it's easier to work hard for yourself in my opinion than to work hard for someone else. Um, Every day is an existential crisis. Yes, that's right. All right. I tell people that the, uh, the worst part of working for myself is my boss is a jackass, but uh, <laughs> other than that, there's uh, there's good parts too. So. That's great. And our last question is if business meetings had intro songs, what would yours be? Well, I don't have an explanation for it, but uh Love Shack by the B fifty twos would be would be great <laughs> okay, music to yeah. watch. Right. That's <laughs> awesome. We love it. We've we've had a variety of, of answers. It's always a, a fun one of our favorite questions to get to conclude the episode with. But this has been great, Mike and We've learned a lot, and we hope our listeners check out what you got going on at Exit, Exit Oasis and on LinkedIn. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. I enjoyed it immensely. Hey, guys, it's Cal here. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the How To Business Show. If you would like to stay up to date with upcoming episodes and what we're doing behind the scenes, make sure to follow us on social media. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and our website, www.htbshow.com. Finally, if you have a story to share or some feedback for the show, feel free to contact us at htbs at gillisanteam.com. Important links for today's episode can be found in the description. From all of us on the How To Business team, thank you for listening and see you next time.